Hello. Welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I am joined by Seth Engel, a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, teacher, and recording engineer. Seth recently released Wind's Gonna Blow, the sixth record by his solo project Options, and played all of the parts on this album himself, and recorded it at Palette Sound, a Chicago recording studio where he works as an engineer. Over the course of our conversation, Seth and I discussed his musical background the lessons he's learned from playing with other musicians, and the life lessons that informed the lyrics of Wind's Gonna Blow. Thank you for listening. Uh, Shit, uh, so you were teaching today? Yeah, yeah, I just got off uh, a long day of teaching. It wasn't really that long, but it was just kind of spread out. I teach a class in the morning, Mm -hmm. and then I just, uh, just got done a different one. So is this like private lessons or are you doing like group stuff or what's what's it like these days? It is all private lessons, but group private lessons, I guess. So oh. it's all it's all through an organization. So everyone has to sort of be signed up. But yeah, it's it's the the one program, the, the earlier one that I teach more is uh, 16 high schoolers in one class and all use a browser based DAW to make music together. which is uh, totally uncharted territory. (laughs) And then the other group is uh, a program that my org runs where we basically give a select amount of young people instruments who don't have them, and then we show them instrument care and how to use them and theory and et cetera, et cetera. So that was was what I just finished up. It's, It's crazy seeing how fast these young people learn and just like I sort of always approach it from like, you know, thinking about all the dumb shit that I learned the really unnecessarily difficult way. And then just like, oh, well, if, if someone had shown me that when I was, you know, anywhere between, say, 14 and 18 years old. Wow. What a different world I would right. be living in. So. So this is all like production technique stuff or. Well, it used to be sort of like rock band format. So it was, you know, it was just like everyone together playing guitar, bass, drums, keys, singing. But now there's also, because of uh, distance learning, there's this added element of production, which for me, I'm like, I'm thrilled about because I get to show them all sorts of stupid tricks like, you know, reverse pitch shifting and what have you, how to use effects and all that kind of stuff, how to make your own effects, sample your own playing, et cetera, et cetera. But do you feel like they're responding? Because I imagine like I, I the sort of uh, cliche about the younger generation is that they're not really interested in rock band format stuff anyway oh and that it couldn't be it couldn't be further from the truth you know what's crazy delighted to hear that you know what's (laughs) crazy to me these young people have such wide taste in music because at least the folks who i'm working with it's all based in bronzeville which historically is such a musical community like when louis armstrong moved to the north he moved to bronzeville like Mm. howlin wolf muddy waters like all these old dudes 
you know, I think Chaka Khan is from Bronzeville too. Like a lot of rich history there, you know, artistically. And so they have not only this sort of part that's just like steeped in the neighborhood that they live in, but they also have access to the internet. And right. it's it's amazing what you, what you see when we're like voting on songs. It'll be like, I'm trying to think of the most absurd example, but it'll be like, you know, it'll be like, a 90s rock song and like an R&B pop tune and maybe like maybe like a classic rock song and then just like an obscure like parliament cut or something like that <laughs> it's so it's amazing to me how wide it is because that was certainly not I mean that was kind of where I was gravitating towards when I was that age but just having uh having faster internet mm-hmm. is uh is seems to be a pretty big game changer for what they can discover which is really cool to me yeah, I mean, I do actually want to kind of start from the start with you because you work in so many different disciplines in terms of like where you are in music. You know, you're a performer, you write your own material and release it under the name Options. You teach, as we've been discussing, and you also run a studio. So w- talking about the difference between the kids that you're teaching now and where you were when you started, how did you start getting into playing music? What was the, the early stages of, of that for you? Oh man. Um, you know, like lots of, uh, young music people, I was just trying to like play my parents guitar that was sitting around and, you know, bang on whatever. But at a certain point, my mom used to play guitar more. I think she still can, but she used to more when she was younger. And so we had a guitar and I just like, man middle school hit and i just wanted to play music so she sort of showed me a couple of the ropes and i was basically just like off just you know figuring out as much as i could with my ear and then i think the first lessons i actually got were keyboard lessons did not like keyboard was Hmm. just like not down and (laughs) it just wasn't fun the way guitar or drums were super fun but yeah, started started with guitar. Really just wanted to be a drummer the whole time, but started with guitar and then eventually, you know, I wouldn't stop uh, tapping on things or myself or whatever. So eventually <laughs> my parents conceded and uh, got me a drum set. Did you sort of have to like prove that you were serious enough with the guitar stuff first before kind of elevating to the next? Because obviously like bringing a drum set into a household is a oh, pretty drastic a, change. It's a nightmare. Know? It's <laughs> <laughs> But um. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they they sort of, to me, drums and guitar kind of went hand in hand. And also really super early on, I think as early as I started actually playing, I was like fascinated with recording. I just had like an old boom box mm-hmm. that my dad had, you know, from like the 80s or whenever that thing was from. Might have even been from the 70s. He showed me, you know, if you hit record and play at the same time, you can actually record on a tape. And I was like, wow, no way. <laughs> so, uh yeah, it was it was very symbiotic for me sort of coming into learning music and then also recording music. I think at some point pretty early on I got a four track Tascam tape recorder and uh and the rest was history. <laughs> I just kind of mm-hmm. went off to the races. Even before I had a, a drum kit, I would uh I would use like the keyboard drums. Right. And, yes. And just sort of like, you know, especially back in the early 2000s, I was like, sick, I figured out double kick pedal on keyboard drums. So and so when you're talking about like what you wished you had learned earlier, 
that you're now able to pass along to your students, what particularly comes to mind? Are you thinking about like instrumental skills or recording skills? I feel like both, but the thing that I was working on uh, today with them is, you know, scales, scales when you're a young person. God, is there anything more boring on the earth than playing scales? But it's like, once you get over that hump, you can really, it's, and it's about more than just ripping or playing fast. It's, being able to identify where the notes are with more ease and that was something that i don't think i ever really had explained so i didn't i was just like well i don't really care about playing fast i mean great you know it sounds cool and it's probably fun as hell to do but you know i i was into like weezer i was not into like i i liked music that shredded but i was not like about music that shredded in the same Mm -hmm. way I mean, I, I'm assuming that that changed later because I know you definitely played in some pretty wild ass bands in college. Yeah, in, in shredding. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny though because even with that shit, like with guitar, like man, like tapping in an open tuning, total cheating. You can do really cool shit with it, but like totally cheating. And I, so I never learned how to like, you know, run my scales or any of that kind of stuff with drums. It was different because at least there was. Uh, I felt I felt like uh, practicing sort of more of the fundamentals had more immediate gratification mm-hmm. than running scales on on a guitar. But yeah, I for, I can relate to that definitely. I was never I'm not a guitarist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but from learning drums, I think that like paradiddles for a while, I was like, "What the fuck is the point of this?" Like, <laughs> yeah. and then like once I figured out, like, "Oh wait, hold on," the kick pattern in immigrant song is just kind of a variation of a paradiddle if you were to take like one of the hands and just move it to the foot and then i was like okay i'm all in on paradiddles now oh yeah (laughs) dude it's so funny one thing that i really like to do when i'm teaching to sort of make paradiddles like a wow i can do this too type of thing is uh just show them you know the paradiddle but dispersed you know Mm -hmm. with the kick and the snare and the cymbal lining up with the kick that's such a cool sounding beat when you do it fast enough and you know, it's always just like, you know, paradiddle, here's here's how the pattern goes, and everyone's bored as hell, and then I'm like, okay, great. You at least know what the concept is. Check out what happens when you practice it for, like, you know, 15 years, and then I just right. do what yeah, I yeah, do, yeah. and they're all like, wow, oh my god, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, all you gotta do is practice it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And sort of to your point, uh, just like comparing along, like, the scales to drum rudiments thing, there is sort of pattern recognition and being able to find your place quote unquote like on the drum kit or in a phrase you know like the more comfortable you are with rudiments the more i feel like if you are to like if you do get thrown off in the middle of playing something you're like i'm just a double away yeah yeah yeah, yeah. back back to where i need to be so did were you taking like lessons on drums or and in guitar were you fairly self-taught uh with guitar i took lessons for a couple of years from a couple of different people, but then I just sort of was off to the races. And honestly, I was just like, at a certain point, I was way more interested in drums. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started drums. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I feel like the first couple of times I played drums, it was just like, I basically had the idea right, but I was doing open-handed and someone was like, hey, you should flip your hands. And that was just kind of like it. And huh. Anytime I was at Guitar Center, like, you bet I would go to the kit with the most drums, the most cymbals, and a gnarly double kick pedal. And I was just like, I would just go, man. So, you know, again, like, at a certain point, my folks were just like, okay, fine. 
yeah, with drums too, I had I had a couple of teachers, but sort of by the time I hit high school, I was not taking guitar lessons anymore. And, you know, I was just hacking away. I was using my ear as much mm-hmm. as I could, but I still didn't really know what was going on. And then, you know, in, in like a, in like a more concrete sense, I knew what I was hearing, but I had no idea how to define really anything. And, uh, it took me a long time to get my guitar chops like anywhere near, you know, drums, but, mm-hmm. and then the funny thing is in between all of this, like I didn't even really pick up a bass until, you know, at some point in high school, I found a, I think a, like a $80 bass on musiciansfriend.com. It was a rogue bass. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was my intro, but I really didn't, I feel like, I feel like I didn't even really understand, uh, how deep you can go with bass until a lot later in my journey. During all this time, I'm assuming you're playing in bands in high school and you're, are you starting to write your own material at that point too? Oh yeah. That's, that's the funny thing too about when I had started was like, I right away was just like, I just want to make my own ideas. So I was like, you know, like probably 11 or, or 12 or something. Not that they were really good per se ideas but like man i was just hungry to create so i was just i was doing it and i really was like i really want to be in a band i knew i knew it when it you know when it hit me i was like oh man this is so great i if only i could get other people to play music with me who are as serious as i am so (laughs) i you know now now that i'm 30 i can definitely say objectively i think i was probably a really big pain in the ass to work with because uh-huh. I was so serious. A lot of other young people my age were just like, yeah, music's fun, but like I want to play video games or play sports or like, and I was just like, nah, I just want to play music. So it was a, uh, it was a funny experience, but you know, I was in, I was in a couple bands in high school. I think I played maybe a tiny handful of venues around Philly before I had graduated, but I didn't get any like meaningful show experience in until I moved out here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you moved to Chicago for college, which is where we met. Um, I think we were, we met outside of like some like science class or some shit. I can't even remember. I saw that you had like a pin that on your bag. Oh, the straight edge. pin. (laughs) Oh yeah. Wow. What times? Yeah. Yeah, Life has changed (laughs) for the both of us. (laughs) Um, so yeah, like I, I remember at the time though, like options did sort of exist. Is that right? Like you were, it sure did. It's a funny, it's a funny way that it went because, you know, all, all this time growing up, I would just like, uh, I would just, you know, when there was no one to play music with, I would play alone. I would make my own recordings, you know, and after the task M I figured out how to use acoustic, a mix craft on the computer whoa <laughs> whoa blast from the blast past, from the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. but it was like i was doing it so i had a solo thing but then i started a duo with a friend who played guitar and i was playing drums and we decided to call our band options for you know whatever variety of reasons that probably are irrelevant at this point mm-hmm. but i just i just like the name uh at the time and so we stopped playing together and i was like hey cool if i call my solo thing this and my friend was like yep no problem and that was kind of it i I just kind of liked the idea i've always been into this idea of a name that is uh you know sort of utilitarian or or descriptive in a funny way like um Mm -hmm. 
and so for me options was in a lot of ways just like literally i can do whatever i want it's my thing right yes yes and so what did you decide to do early on like what were your early influences and and goals with the project like what kind of songs were you trying to write Oh man, I think uh I think by the time I started really working on stuff for it I understood the idea of sounding like yourself. So I think that that's kind of what I was shooting for. But man, I had I had a fucked myriad of influences uh, around that time. I was like you know, like many high schoolers, I was into you know, emo and like some some pop punk music and you know i knew like classic rock and stuff from my parents and at some point in high school my neighbor showed me quicksand antioch arrow cap and jazz and seisha and totally ruined my life (laughs) um so here i was like a high schooler and i was just like yeah cap and jazz yeah quicksand but i was also like yeah ska and pop punk so, right. so it was this funny juxtaposition of like lots of different sorts of sounds and I was still finding my way like I think around the time I started really writing you know I was you know for for at least what became this project I was really just like deep in the land of all uh all Kinsella related projects mm-hmm. and then I think I mean also too you know growing up in in Philadelphia in the late 2000s was like DIY sort of like math rock music was just everywhere. So that was a big part of everything too. And then interestingly on the you know opposite side of the indie rock spectrum was Pedro the Lion, which was right. just like slow and methodical and never a note more than you need to play. So I had these sort of two polars that were you know I was just fascinated by but I don't I don't, I don't think I was necessarily trying to like write like any of it i just was really into this idea because i feel like you know i'd read i'd read or heard interviews or whatever with people who i admired where a common thread among a lot of them is just this idea of sort of sounding like yourself Mm -hmm. and i at least knew enough at that point i think that even if i didn't necessarily know how to sound like myself i understood that that was something that i aspired to figure out more than I was interested in writing like stylistic music, I think. Right. Right. And so you put out a lot of records. It's like, this is your sixth full length that you're currently just released. Uh, Wind's going to blow. When do you feel like in that process, you actually did start to sound like yourself, like around what time in the band's history? Um, To me, it's uh, I feel like what you want is sort of the first big culmination and I mean, it's it's influenced by a lot of stuff too, but I feel like that f- that feels like me even even all this time later, listening back, I feel like it it really sounds like early twenties Seth to me more more than a lot of other things. I think. And how do you feel about the stuff that you put out prior to that? Like what? Oh why, man! Why is that the dividing <laughs> line? <laughs> well, you know, it's I'm sure it's out there if anyone really wants it. But I feel like I was still just sort of like I did. I did an EP with someone who recorded me in a studio, which was really cool. I'd never gone to a studio uh, for my own personal music before. That was sort of more. I mean, it's definitely just like you know what you want is totally just like a math rock emo rock kind of record. 
but I feel like it's got stuff in it maybe that you don't often find in either it's kind of a weird neither here nor there thing but so the older stuff you know it just uh it was journey music (laughs) that's how I kind (laughs) of look at it like it was it was the best that I could do when I was doing it and I don't I don't disown it but I also am not trying to make it uh widely available per se sure and to me again it's just like the the EP that I did before I did a couple of EPs actually before uh before what you want but to me what you want is like a really uh I think I I put that out like right at the end of college like right around like right before I graduated Mm -hmm. so to me that was sort of you know at the time it was just like here's this like culmination of all this stuff I've been working so hard to you know try and figure out and understand and etc etc and now all these years later I can look back and be like okay that was a good start (laughs) (laughs) and and by that point you were recording yourself uh, you do pretty much all of the instruments for options from my understanding um was that in a studio that you had done or was it a home recording still at that point oh for what you want what you want was uh what you want was interesting because that was actually the first record i did in my practice space Uh uh-huh which we have called the owlry for a very stupid reason when we moved in there as a plastic owl perched on a on a particular ledge Uh uh-huh okay that was it that was it (laughs) and now we now we're stuck with this stupid name all these years later but (laughs) that record was um yeah it was like right after because you remember space jam in uh in jefferson park which Mm -hmm. uh for anyone listening i had a few friends who had a house they rented a house in jefferson park in chicago and my friend adam lived on the second floor and they had like a basement and we wired a 100 foot snake through the wall and from his room on the second floor into the basement yeah it was a it was a wild time we made some records there yep i i did a bit of recording there once for uh for a laminiforms record actually it wasn't called laminiforms at the time but do you remember jack greenleaf and i came over to do just feedback yes i do oh my god (laughs) yeah with the tiny terror oh man yeah that was sick it was a lot of fun but it was a hell of a trek to get out there oh yeah (laughs) Oh yeah. So I got, I just got broken in for long treks real good. Cause I was just like, well, we got the studio. I guess I got to go on another, you know, hour long commute to and from my friend's house. But it was, it was great. It was, I learned so much there. I think I learned more about recording there than like any other point before that mm-hmm. in my life. What about it made you make that progress? Oh man. It was, uh, you know my my friends who I played music with at that time who were in uh, cage match all of them were audio majors so I just sort of learned all their tricks and asked them lots of stupid questions and Mm -hmm. uh, I never really had had access to I mean that's not true I had the internet but like as far as human beings who I was friends with I didn't know anyone you know who knew that much about recording so and I, I think my ear was was fairly developed at that point, but just like my technical know-how was like very limited. Yeah, I was just playing music there with my friends in their basement, and then we were making records together, and every time we would make someone else's record, I would just like learn so much more. And so when did you start recording on your own, out of your own studio? It was, well, I think the end of Space Jam was like... <laughs> 
Oh, man. I feel like there was, uh, if I remember correctly, there were like a few couples living in the house, and they all split up at the same time. So, Peak you know. early it, 20s shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> people were like moving out of Chicago and shit. So it was like, all right, well, I still need a place to play music. What can we do? And me and my friend Brian found the practice space building that my room is in, and we were off there, and then we we assembled a crew of people to share the room with pretty quickly and amazingly as luck would have it several of them were also audio majors uh so you know and at that point you know some of them had like nicer microphones or you know better gear or whatever so people would just suggest stuff to me as i was tracking that record and i would just try it out but that was um you know before then i feel like I would I would usually at least get help with drums mm-hmm. from a friend, but I I think with what you want, it was just like I'm I'm just out here I'm just doing it and man that was a crazy experience too because many times when I was tracking I was ultimately I had a I had a bad hard drive like a bad external hard drive so I would like go in and track guitars for ten hours and I would come back and like they would all be you know all the clips would be out of order. Where I would go to play something back and it would be staticky. And oh God! Yeah, it was it was a real process wrangling <laughs> that record into existence. Yeah, it was just like that. I I don't think I had ever had that sort of uh, an opportunity to be that reckless mm-hmm. and that just like go super deep into the zone and just really be focused only on you know my self and the songs and and stuff like that. So. It was uh it was a really cool experience just tracking that record alone in the Owlery. So when did Pallet Sound come into the picture? Pallet was I think they I wasn't part of the original crew, but I joined uh-huh. up in 2016 and I think they founded it in 2015. And it was it was also sort of at another pivotal moment in time, you know, it was like the Owlery was split sort of between me and three other engineers and the other guys found a space that they wanted to move into. And so they were going to move out of the Owlery and I was just like, fuck, what am I going to do? And I think originally when my friends who were starting Pallet started it, they asked me if I wanted to get in on it, but I was touring. It was the summer. I was like, I can't, I can't deal with rent for a you know, spot I'm not using. So that was that and then of course my buds moved out of the Owlery and I was like hey any chance you have uh open space <laughs> and it it actually just wound up working out that they had someone who was moving out and I had gear that they thought was cool and useful so I moved in and I've just been there ever since and so by that point what was like the first options project that you started working on in that space I think I did the vocals for maxed out at palette i think Mm -hmm. i did the whole record at the owlry and then it sort of was just like timing wise it just worked out to do the vocals right when i had moved into palette so did you notice any other big shifts in terms of your your sound and your approach and your songwriting style by the time that you'd really settled into the palette sound era of uh of your career yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's Matt Kissinger's fault. You know, playing, playing in uh, Coaster definitely was a big game changer for me. Uh-huh. And, man, that dude just thought about music in a way that 
playing second fiddle to him in a band really forced me to up my game because you know he's he's got such a like a high sort of tinny kind of voice and my voice is like way lower and way more you know resonant and doesn't carry as much and his carries really well so through that I had to learn how to sort of match timbre and even chord progression wise I feel like my stuff was a little bit like I would use you know I would use like chromaticism I would use you know blue notes and what have you but ultimately I wasn't really deviating into anything a little more out there and I think Mm -hmm. Matt's stuff was way more out there you know just his parts by themselves and then right by the time I was like okay great now I understand what you're doing like what can I do on top of this and it was it was just that sort of like at the time that we started playing music together I was still sort of in like you know to a degree just like open tuning tapping world so playing with Matt made me really rethink you know all the uh the crutches that I came to learn how to lean on that's interesting to hear because like I I also felt like even though it's maybe a more like more chromatic and a bit more harmonically like dense sounding that it does feel like the pre- compared to the pre coaster stuff you've gotten a lot more tuneful and a lot more direct in your writing like coaster i feel like was such a great like party band in their way <laughs> you know oh <laughs> like, yeah like it was like really fun and direct and like engaging pop rock music that wasn't like dumb in the least. It was like yeah. the smartest <laughs> version of that kind of stuff. And I feel like that I, now that you pointed out, I can, abs- I can absolutely see how that rubbed off on the stuff that you've released since. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I feel like the thing, the thing that I've always really been after is melody, but it took me a long time to realize that. And I think even in more, like when I was really into like open tuning rock, like I was just, I felt like a lot of those melodies were really interesting to me. It wasn't about how, you know, playing fast is certainly a thrill, but like that wasn't the thing that really got my attention. It was, it was the melodies. And so Mm -hmm. when I learned how to write, you know, with Matt, it was just like, Oh fuck. Like all these melodies are so good and so strong. And I think that sort of, that was the, the thing that really opened me up to becoming sort of more melody centric than anything else. Cause I was really like, you know, drum wise, like I feel like you would know probably better than most people. Like I was just so deep in like abstract drum world for a long time. Right. Yeah. And just like seeing how hard I could push it. And I feel like my guitar approach became basically the opposite. I mean, still trying to push it, but like not in terms of like dexterity, just in terms of like, you know, what I could write. There's other axes on which to improve than just like athleticism, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. But I, I, I'm i interested in, because you've worked with a lot of other people. You've toured a bunch. You've been in other bands. Uh, probably the one that people are most familiar with at this point is you've been in Namdi's band in and out for various tours. Uh, how has working with other musicians influenced options? Like what are some other examples that you can think of of, people that have pushed you in in new directions in your own work oh man i would say thinking back maybe a little earlier than matt my buddy scotty who i played in the band young bull with his Mm -hmm. thing is called shelf life now but um playing music with that dude just like ripped my whole world apart i just 
I had, I had never considered the possibilities of uh, of how much you can shove into a you know a short song. I had been kind of experimenting with it, but really playing with him just like really fucked my song length game up. <laughs> I was I was just like, oh fuck, you can write an amazing song in like forty five seconds. Great, cool, let's go. And playing with him and his brother Anthony was just like, there's no way I would play music the way I play now without that experience so that was really huge for me also kind of opened me up to using six eight a little bit more and uh-huh. you know just sort of like weird like phrase extensions and and different ways to sort of interject more personality into songs and then probably after that i mean obviously playing with namdu is super big harmonically rhythmically arrangement wise um i would say to my buddy Nick, who has a project called Jody, was just like through the fucking roof playing with them. It was just like, oh shit, you know. I would, I would. They have a record out called Karaoke that's really great, and mm-hmm. they asked me to play in their band, and I was like, great. And I learned the songs, and I showed up for the first day of practice, and they were like, okay, cool. Like, let's play. You know, let's do a stop here. Let's uh, let's add a you know extension here. Let then you know. Maybe let's put it in a different key, like all sorts of different, you know, ways to let a song breathe after the recording exists. And even just in thinking about live arrangement, that was like a pretty radical game changer. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about them all the time when I write songs. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like everyone who I've ever played music with, is, there's there's always just so much to learn because everyone approaches it differently. But Totally. Yeah, that's like that's like the really big ones for me. So I, I'm also glad that you brought up the the difference between the live versions and the studio versions because since you do record all of Options material yourself, you do have to sort of translate it to an entirely different group of people when you're playing it live. Oh yeah. What's what's that process like for you, and uh, how do you choose to change the songs? Like, how do you see the songs change from one to another? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I feel like uh, the things that I really value, I mean, I. It's so it's so interesting because I feel like I've formed a number of really like powerful friendships just from being like, wow, you look like an intuitive musician. And I feel like we'll probably get along really well, want to play in my band and you know, for, for me, sort of a, a pre prerequisite is always just like, can I send you an isolated track and you can learn it, you know, as close to verbatim as is possible? Great. You can. All right. Cool. Like, let's go. Right. A- and and so just sort of, you know, because there's so many parts and there's there's so many moving parts and there are so many parts that depend on each other. So that anyone who chooses to play in my band can like really just learn the shit to a T makes worrying about all the you know smaller nuances that I think in some ways make the songs what they are that makes that possible and then it also allows for me to be spontaneous with uh with doing live arrangements yeah just sort of like totally riffing off of what I learned playing with Nick and Jody you know we would play through a version of a song and I'd be like, cool, great. You know, this sounds like the record sounds like. Let's play through it again. And then, you know, I just sort of 
realize like, oh, what if I change that? Or what if I change this? Or what if we do a pause here? Or, you know, what if you play a different lead part? Or what if you sing an extra harmony or don't sing an extra harmony? Or mm-hmm. there's so many, you know, ways to chop that kind of thing up that uh, just so much of it is about making sure you got the basic shit down and the basic shit is not easy either. So it's like ultimately making sure that, you know, anyone who's learning these parts is paying attention to the nuances is a hundred percent crucial to even letting live parts, you know, like exist or like dictate themselves or mm-hmm. whatnot. But like my, my friend James, who's been playing fairly consistent with me for like the last couple years, he just learned so fucking fast that like there have been times when I would just come into practice and be like, Hey, I have a new song. Like, can we, can we learn it? It's really easy. I promise. And of course it's not as easy as I think it is, you know, but like I can just show my friends who I'm playing music with just like how to play shit on the fly. And they, they usually pick it up really fast. So it makes it really fun and exciting. And of course I'm always just like, if anyone has an idea, like, pipe up and there have been times where my friends who are playing in my band are like yo let's try this and i'm like great let's do it mm-hmm. and it winds up you know and i feel like one one thing that i've gotten really into with uh with recordings but i think i started really digging into it with live stuff is just like using musical humor in music i think again just like scotty i i love scotty so much one of the best things he's ever shown me besides playing in six eight and uh and fucking up my songwriting length game is just like humor, musical humor in music. So like having whatever, maybe, maybe I have like really serious lyrics on something, but I got like a funny ass guitar solo or I've got like, there's like a funny stop or a funny, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I feel like doing that kind of stuff live for me really disarms the, uh, this very serious guy vibe that sometimes I think my music can put out. Sure. Yeah. And also it's like a really good way of learning kind of on the spot what is actually quote unquote musically funny and what isn't because you can see it reflected in the audience. You know? Oh, yeah. Like it's much easier to tell if a musical joke lands in person <laughs> than it does if you're just doing it on a record. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so has playing the material live over time influenced how you then approach the next batch of recorded material oh yeah totally i mean there there's like i feel like with um with wind's gonna blow there were and i think to an extent with some of the vivid trace tunes but really really with wind's gonna blow i used the band format to let me explore the songs a little bit more mm-hmm. like uh i think around when vivid trace came out was like ish around when i started playing with nick and so then, you know, I started like live, you know, adapting the uh, the Vivid Trace tunes to different, you know, like I did, I did like Wandering on the Record. It's just like a super short piano tune. And then I went ahead and just made like a guitar rock version of it. But then I'm trying to think like the, I think the best example is probably Born, mm-hmm. the first track from Wind's Gonna Blow, because uh that whole that whole like groovy ending instrumental section like that yes. did not exist when i brought that into the band i just brought it in and we learned the tune and we played it through and i was just like yo feel me on this 
<laughs> let's try this ending. And I explained it to them, and everyone just picked it right up, and it sounded fucking awesome. And then, you know, the ad- initial idea sort of bloomed into something a little bit more substantial, and that was kind of that. But, like, really digging into this idea of letting the songs breathe and continue to evolve after they're being recorded totally just made its way into my new songs so when did you start writing for wind's gonna blow maybe like i think i wrote some of them in early 2018 but then i don't know man i'm just like it it like i like wrote a few before vivid trace came out and then vivid trace came out and then i kind of went on a very long run of touring and then i came back and finished writing the record you've mentioned that it was a a pretty heavy record thematically so oh yeah it's a it's a heavy record but it's also um i i think it's uh i hope i hope that it is not as uh as gloomy as Mm -hmm. previous stuff like i really tried to you know putting out this much music it it sort of gets to a point where it's just like okay what new can you say? You've written a lot of fucking songs. So like, what what are you going to do? Keep writing the same song? You can't just keep keep being bummed out and exploring that forever, you know? You, you got to take take what I've learned and and show that I've learned it <laughs> through right. songs. So like a big part of this this record for me like it's just been it, you know, it's about learning and it's about acceptance and it's about growth so in, in as much as it definitely is heavy i think that it also is uh it escapes from that in a way too i think is there anything in particular that you're you're feel comfortable talking about because when i was looking through the lyrics what i appreciated about it is it's not direct necessarily about the heaviness of its feelings or it, it's a bit more it's almost like you're writing notes to yourself it seems oh, yeah. like oh and yeah <laughs> it's it, I actually I really like that idea that it's like you're leaving little messages of like how to improve. It's like self improvement. It's like journaling, you know. Um, I guess yeah. is, a, is a good way to put it. But what was on your mind? Like, what kind of lessons were you trying to learn at that time? You know, just like not getting so hung up on shit and accepting things that I can't control and trying to take you know real honest stock of of where I'm at and. You know, it's like any anything that sucks to go through can suck a little bit less. I think if you learn something from it, or if you, hmm. if there's something, and sometimes there's nothing to take away, and even that takeaway, I think, is helpful to realize. Right. This is like the classic Cohen Brothers lesson: <laughs> is that you can't learn anything from it. You just have to throw up your hands and walk away from it. In a sense. Yeah, man. I mean, like that's that's like that's really it is part of part of the record is just like great shit's fucked up okay cool like what what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna make of it like are you just gonna complain because i don't really want to be a complaining guy you know everyone's got shit but like fuck if i can't learn from it like what what am i doing putting this thing out into the into the world like to an extent it helps me but then you know you put it out in the world and it's everyone's it doesn't Mm -hmm. I made it, sure, but it it doesn't belong to me anymore. So I feel like there was, uh, I just had way more interest in, uh, you know, the buck doesn't just have to stop at uh, at acknowledging a feeling. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. You kind of it only matters if you push forward in some sense. Like there's this great line, like the opening line of better past. I'm looking through the lyrics right now. You know, hoping for a better past is is a wasted effort when only the future knows, you know? <laughs> that's that's the truth right there, you know? Like yeah, you, <laughs> you you cannot make your past better because the only thing you actually have control over is to some extent your future instead. Yeah, man. And it's so much of the record is just like shit's fucked. Like what are you going to do? How are you going to get how are you going to go forward? How are you going to still be a person? Mm-hmm. Because you don't know what's going to get thrown at you, but at least maybe you can learn something from each time and and have a better idea of how to navigate it next time because there's always a next time. Mhm. So speaking of of that, musically, was there any like lessons that you had learned from the previous recordings that you wanted to rectify with this particular album? Like, is there something in particular that you wanted to improve on and focus on? Obviously, there's we talked about it previously, the bringing in more of the live band feel, but anything in otherwise that comes to mind in the songwriting or even on the recording end? Yeah, I mean, well, like, certainly, like I was saying, like, lyrically and sort of thematically, yeah, I, I think the notes to myself point that you made is, like, that's pretty dead on. Like, a lot of, a lot of these tunes are, like, me talking to myself or, mm. uh, you know, trying to navigate through something or or what have you. I think, you know, vocals, for a long time, I I just, I knew that that was my weakest spot. And so every record for me, I try to improve vocally. And with this record, I I didn't, like, I feel like I did improve, but I didn't just improve. I had, like, a fucking awesome time singing. Mm. Like, I had such a fun time singing. I was, I was, uh, that was my first summer teaching this program with these young people. And every day after class, you know, that I could or I had access to the studio where I felt inspired, I would just go in right away because nothing warms up your voice more as, you know, as long as you don't have to yell than uh, talking <laughs> to young people for three, four hours. So I would be warmed up and I would just go into the studio and I would just try and knock out takes. And it was like, man, it was fucking fun. It felt really good. Mm. And that was, that was something that like with, you know, with what you want, I was fortunate and, also fortunately to be you know present of mind enough at the time to take secondary vocals at the very end of my college experience and I specifically went into those lessons with like okay I know I'm not a very strong vocalist but like I have this record and I really want to sing better than I would have sung if I didn't take these lessons so you know since then it's just sort of been an onward journey to figure out how to have a peaceful relationship with singing, which is a, it's a fucking hard thing to do, but I feel like I've really, you know, not, you know, there's always more, more growing to do and stuff, but like, yeah, man, I had, I had a really good time singing wind's going to blow. And so now that you feel like you've made that breakthrough, is that something you want to try and push further in any particular way in your upcoming material like do you think there's something you can carry from that experience and apply to your new material yeah i mean i feel like i feel like i'm just able to get like more sort of natural and true to myself and like spontaneous kind of vocal takes which i really like but uh mm. you know i've l- I've learned a lot about 
sort of about writing parts and about harmonies. Like one one great thing I've learned that I always try to approach with harmonies now is, you know, every every harmony should just be strong as a melody on its own. You yeah. know, I don't have to just follow in thirds or, you know, follow in sevenths or whatever I'm doing. Like it, it, if you delete the melody and you just got the harmony, like is the harmony hot? And that's sort of the thing I've really had my mind on for a while. But uh, yeah, I'm like, I got, I got another record that's actually almost done being mastered now. And then I'm writing another, another post one after that. That's uh it's fucking fun to sing. It's really fun to <laughs> sing. And I'm just having, I'm having a better and better time with harmonies and it rips. I, you know, I never, I didn't know if I would ever get to this point in my life where I'm just like, damn, singing is fun as shit. But I just like, I feel like part of what, what helped get to that spot is just doing it, just doing it, integrating it into part of my life. Like I just, I sing all the time walking down the street, you know, with my mask on. Hell yeah, that helps singing for sure because no one oh, knows yeah. I'm singing. I'm just singing myself. <laughs> I could be saying nothing. I could be saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. No one would know. It's great. So I just, I sing a lot with my mask on when I'm walking. You know, I just sing, I sing in my kitchen when I'm like doing dishes, like all sorts of just, the more it becomes offhanded, the more fun I have with it really. Right. It's pursu- It's pursuing that same kind of spirit of spontaneity that you're referring to when it comes to like the live arrangements almost, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, it, totally. If you're not able to find your singing fun and to be able to explore it in sort of an almost like I feel this way is I'm constantly singing when I have like the house to myself, just like the dumbest, funniest, like nonsense songs, oh, you yeah. know, about like whatever task you're doing. It usually <laughs> for me, it comes out in some sort of like bad James Hetfield impression because <laughs> That's just my musical history. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it's so much fun. And I feel like really learning how to tap into that, let go and have a damn good time. And I mean, of course, like exploring my range and like learning how to navigate the full voice falsetto break and all this other shit has helped that be easier and more fun. But just having, you know, integrating it into a, a facet of my life, of my everyday life has just been really, really wonderful. So since you brought up the mask, I have been asking, like, I've been doing a fair amount of these. I've, been, I've actually been doing more of these podcasts since the, you know, COVID reached our shores than I did before. Guess what? I have a lot more free time. <laughs> uh, so I, I've sort of been go- like asking everyone how they're managing their musical life under these like completely new circumstances. Uh, and it sounds <laughs> like you're, you're staying pretty busy. You know, you're doing a, a fair amount of mixing and teaching and all of that, but What's your life in uh, in COVID lockdown been like? Oh, it's been it's been a wild ride as as it's been for everyone. You know, it's like it started out and I was just like, okay, well, like I don't know what's gonna happen, so I better just play as much music as I possibly fucking can. And that was sort of when I finished up tracking for this next one and and you know tightened up the mixes. But it's it's been kind of on and off. Like when when all the protests happened and stuff, I just found it impossible to connect with music for like a a little more than a week. I I just like couldn't listen to anything. And since then, I've sort of reestablished that and reevaluated that and figured out you know what feels like a reasonable way to fit my 
life and also anti-racism into my whole experience. Mm -hmm. But it's been, uh, you know, just playing alone. I'm like, there's a part of me that's just like, damn, I am so glad I took all of this time to get really good at playing alone by myself. Because I feel like I've, you know, to an extent sort of developed differing voices on each instrument. And so, you know, learning how to interact with that is like best gift I could have given myself ever that I I never could have anticipated it would be so practically applicable. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, my God, I just I miss playing with people so, 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 so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whenever... uh, I guess whenever there's a vaccine, you know, it'll be it'll be a different ball game. But thus far, I've just been like really feeling the gratitude that I have the skill set that I have because mm-hmm. it's made it a lot more bearable. Like there was a point a couple months ago where I was just I was cranking out like a few songs basically top to bottom like every week or like a few days even like it was it was rad. I would just like go for a walk in the park in the morning. That's that's a lot of my melodies I just think of when I'm walking. So I was totally. just like, I would just go for a walk around the park and then I'd come back from the park and I'm like, cool, I got a song. All right, time to record. And, you know, I just, I have the time, I had the resources. Just fucking great. But it's, you know, it's, it's this weird, uh, very eerie juxtaposition between like, oh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm okay at, you know, doing this by myself with myself. And then the other part is just like, <sighs> but I wish I had anyone to collaborate with in real time. <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. did. I, two of my friends and I have been playing music for maybe the last like six or eight months or so. And a couple weeks ago, we all got COVID tested in tandem and we isolated afterwards and we all went into palette actually was where we did it uh because you can crack the windows there right and we all masked up and we played music together we didn't sound bad we didn't sound great but it was (laughs) it was a crazy fucking experience just like playing music with sound sources generated by other human beings in real time what a mind fuck i know i know i i'm like i've never craved wanting to just lock in with a baseline so badly in my life like i feel like i've been like spiritually deprived of like oh yeah uh, it's like uh, and make no mistake it is gonna freak you the fuck out when you get to do it again (laughs) it's nuts well i don't want to keep you too much longer i know that you've got dinner to get to and all that and thank you so much for calling in and taking the time to cover this incredibly wide range of subjects it's been great talking to you man thanks so much for having me on ian yeah absolutely all right Catch you later. All right. Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Seth, for joining me. You can find Wind's Gonna Blow at optionsmusic.bandcamp.com. And you can find more information about Seth on his website, sethangle.org. You can find more episodes of the podcast on the iTunes podcast app or at soundcloud.com slash lamniforms sounds. And you can follow me on Twitter at lamniforms underscore 
or on Instagram at Ian K. Corey. More episodes soon. Until next time.